0: The middle. The vast middle part of our lives. Are you there? I am. And you know what? It's not so bad. The gray hairs in my beard capture the moonlight in just the right way. No one cares that I wear turtlenecks with shorts. It's incredibly freeing in some ways to feel like after a fair amount of struggling that you kind of... Almost have some things figured out. Or at least know that some things can never be figured out, and so you don't have to tie yourself into knots just in the attempt. Part of my growing comfortable in my person has been this move of apartments. Now that the dream of commune life has vanished, despite lots of surprising interest from my guests, I'm happy to put that kind of living situation in the rearview mirror. It can go back there along with some other less-than-ideal quarters I had arranged for myself over the years. I now no longer need to sit in an empty apartment hoping that couples therapy goes well enough that we can agree on spending money on things like furniture or sheets. I don't have that desire I once had to live among artists even though that meant a stilt walker set fire to a kitchen and a couple was living in a school bus who made their own jam. It sounds more enchanting than it was. And I am in a better place and it took a little while to get here, but I am grateful for all those experiences that made it possible for me to accept this and to appreciate it. I recall my 40th birthday and it wasn't great. I ate alone in a dark restaurant by choice, to kind of wallow in it. But after this past year, I say, no more wallowing. It's time to go forward, to claim one's strength and step into the moment. And as we emerge from this pandemic in the U.S. into the bright warm days of summer, I thought we'd spend some time talking about acceptance, personal growth, and the comedy that comes from being content as we throw open the garage doors and rev up the riding mower and take in a deep breath and go boldly through the freshly cut portal that will lead us to the deep night. Oh, friends, hello, it's me, Dale Seaver, and I'm so honored to be your host, guide, and guru through this next hour of regrets and revelations we call The Deep Night. We come to you tonight, as we always do, from the foul banks of the Gowanus. Now, talk about a vibe. The Gowani is positively humming with activity of late, its bottom dredged, its vapors slightly less toxic, its surface moving as water should, not as thick as it once was. I hereby declare Hot Gowana Summer is on. Get ready. I hope you'll be sure to make a visit uh, down here. I remember vividly the first time we shot a number of intros for our web series down by the canal. That series was one of my earliest experiences with our guest tonight, comedian, host, and generous spirit, Chris Gethard. Chris was so kind to agree to be on the first episode of our web series, Spending Time With, and the premise of the thing, not unlike some that have come after was that I would ask guests what they'd like to do for a day, and then we'd go and do it. And we had great fun, and with Chris, he suggested, hey, let's drive around New Jersey. Rarely do person and place so well align. Chris, a native son of the Garden State, a man steeped in its lore and strange history, and a real champion for what goes on there from Action Park to the Pine Barrens. I've had a similar experience only one other time where this person and place were united as one, and that was riding from LAX to Beverly Hills in the back of a limousine with the author Joan Didion. I will say, Chris proved a bit more dynamic than a jet-lagged Joan Didion, but I treasure both of those memories for different reasons. Now, I've been a fan and an observer of Chris's for a decade or so, and we talk about that arc uh, that he's gone on personally over that span of time. Like so many of my guests this season, he's arrived at a really healthy place, and I'm very happy for him. His take on his life right now is available via his new comedy special, Half My Life, which is available everywhere now. It's a very funny series of stand-up sets that also features some sweet moments of Chris Gethard, the dad, and we get a sense of how parenting has changed him. I was so glad that Chris could join me. I really value his thoughtfulness and kindness, and lest this gets lost among all the feels, I also deeply admire Chris as a comedian. I have seen him invent comedy from almost literally nothing, and it is something to behold every time. So let's go now to my conversation with Chris Gethard. Chris Gethard, welcome to the deep night. It's a pleasure to be here. (laughs) Well, it's a pleasure to have you here. How does this day find you? Uh, It
1: finds me pretty well. Thus far, it's been a good, productive day. It looks like it might rain soon, so that's a little bit of a bummer, but not a huge one.
0: No, it's uh, an experience we're familiar with. (laughs) We'll be able to handle it.
1: (laughs) (laughs) part of the natural rhythms of the earth, I guess. encourages (laughs) life to grow, so
0: yeah. That's right. Um, Well, I'm so glad i'm doing okay i'm doing okay it's been a kind of a a frantic week full of uh juggling a lot of things and spinning a lot of plates as you are no doubt familiar with and uh, but uh, i'm happy that it's coming to an end (laughs) and that we have a chance to talk uh, at this moment um and especially because i feel like chris i was thinking about this um that you and I tend to intersect at these very particular moments in your life. And I don't know why that is. <laughs> but I'm this, happy that this it This is happens. true, isn't
1: it? This is it true. Is. We've, had, we've had three or four of these over yes. the years. You're yes. not wrong. Now,
0: I think it must have been about 10 years ago you did our web series. And uh, thank you again for doing that. I can 10 honestly years. say. I think so. I think that's how long it's been. Um, and so many good things have happened since you said yes. Just by you saying yes to that little show uh, really helped me uh, with my career and get a lot of things going. So so thank you for that. Um, I really appreciate it. Happy to, happy to hear it. I'm shocked that 2011-era me had
1: any positive impact. <laughs>
0: Oh, well, uh it's true that at that moment you and I driving around New Jersey, um you were a bit of a broken man at that point as yeah. I recall. Uh yeah. what what had happened? You had been dumped, you had been forced to move out of your location. Uh you got a tattoo?
1: Uh yeah, there's all sorts of <laughs> When you put it like that. Uh, I didn't get dumped. I I what happened was more what more accurately happened was I fell off the wagon and broke up with a girl I'd been seeing for close to a decade while still high on MDMA. Not ideal, not ideal. (laughs) And then yes, uh, my whole life kind of, I probably hadn't told you that specific back then, but in the wake of this incident, um, which was kind of disastrous, yes, I just sort of randomly, one day I had a friend text me, he goes, have you ever thought about living in Greenpoint? And I was like, yeah, why? He goes, I'm looking for a roommate. I just said, I'm in and had never intended to move before that. Had The thought hadn't crossed my mind. So, yeah, there was a lot of stuff going on that summer, a lot of stuff. <laughs> yeah.
0: uh, and there and there we were, <laughs> meeting for the first time, driving around the <laughs> cemetery, uh, talking about how you want to go out.
1: <laughs> yeah, 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 talking about I mean, contemplating death. Yes, I it's all coming back now. Yeah. I was a pretty interesting guy back then. <laughs>
0: Well, I think you still are. I begged them to put more of the cemetery into the final product. It didn't ever make it, but that was really, uh, my observation was you came to life. uh, How ironic. How ironic. Yes. And so uh, then a few years uh, later, maybe, uh, uh, I came to the vaunted Eminem studios uh, Mm -hmm. to see you tape an episode of your show. Uh, and at that moment, I think you were, um, kind of just sitting there on a chair with some others contemplating ending the show and feeling like I didn't, you weren't sure how to continue with it. Yeah.
1: Yeah. 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 I mean, to be fair, that was a omnipresent feeling that would flare up more than others, but the entire run on public access TV, there was a part of me that was, it was like I was intensely proud of it. I understood that people were latching onto it and it was an extremely exciting thing. I saw the community. I saw that we were doing something different. And yet, still, I wondered if it represented a massive career downfall and uh, have always been at least slightly ashamed of it. And
0: all those feelings coexist. <laughs> Absolutely, I, I will say that MNN Studios. Um, on another time that we were together on Sandwich Night, uh, oh. one of the um, most <laughs> pungent places I think I've ever yeah. been. Yeah, there's a lot of hidden, there's a
1: lot of hidden aspects to that place, and all sorts of sights, sounds, smells that will, will sneak up on you. <laughs> yeah. I believe we we also cross paths there again later because I think you went through a rough patch. Were you yeah. maybe, if I remember right, um, kind of turned to, was it sort of like evil witchcraft in an effort to take down Brett Davis?
0: <laughs> there, there was an attempt. You know, look, I saw an opportunity there. Clearly, it wasn't working out for Brett. I was trying to assert myself uh, and uh, based on some positive affirmations I was doing and uh, try to claim uh, that, that space there. Um, it did not go as planned. Uh, yeah as you're yeah. well aware yeah <laughs> yes uh, but that feeling uh, leading up to that of always wanting to just walk away from it, it, it that's real that that, <laughs> that is still yeah, present for me <laughs> very real yeah,
1: yeah. me too yeah. pretty much every day i think about it at some point
0: yeah i remember talking to you backstage after that one of those shows yeah. and you said oh you got to be careful comedies like drugs you, you got to stay away from this stuff sometimes or, or be cautious in your relationship to it. And I thought, okay. Wow. That that may have been the summer where I was
1: doing drugs. So who knows? <laughs> so who knows?
0: An informed opinion. <laughs> yeah.
1: I, that may have been, looking back, uh, I don't know the effect it had on you. It may have been a little bit more about me than I was letting on. Who knows? Who knows? Yeah,
0: yeah. Um, Not being uh, much of a drug user myself, I don't know that I had a lot of access into what the knowledge was of that message. So Mm -hmm. uh, I just Mm -hmm. kept going. Good, good. I don't know if that was right or not. Good. (laughs) But but here we are. And uh, you've got this brilliant new special. And a baby and a wife. Didn't happen in that order. But you uh, seem to have allowed joy back into your life. And I'm happy to meet you at this moment.
1: I am. I I am more it's funny because even even when i was going through a lot of turmoil a lot of hard times i would still feel happiness don't get me wrong but i i definitely think that i am far more relaxed than i've ever been in my life and far more content in a lot of ways and that's definitely leading to a a higher percentage
0: of happy times um and it, it it feels really good feels really good yeah. Does that scare you? That feeling of a uh, contentedness? Sometimes because I feel like I was always at my best. Like
1: a lot of the stuff I've done that flirted with the mainstream really didn't go well. And I think I've always been at my best like on public access TV where I had to really feel like I was fighting for any sense of respect. I, I wrote a book once that I wrote a book that You know, they handed me a deal and said, go do what you want. And that book didn't come out the way I wanted it 100%. Meanwhile, there's another one that I got rejection letters for seven years. And that one I really love. So I've always been at my best when I feel like my back's against a wall. And contentment doesn't necessarily lead to that. And it's actually one of the themes of the special, I think, that kind of bubbled to the surface without me even kind of knowing it was going to is there's a lot of documentary footage in the special and some of it is just going, I have a pretty happy life now. Why do I want to spend all this time being on the road away from it? So that does fill me with some insecurity, some some questions about if I've always been someone who kind of needs to have some fight in my gut to to get things accomplished, what's going to happen now that I don't have it nearly as much as I used to, but I'd rather have it this way with that question than Than to be, you know, opting into some self-destructive path, in order, in some fool's mission to be creative, you know.
0: Right, and it is possible that there are other things that can fill that that are not quite the same thing that are not destructive, but that are positive or things that build up.
1: And you know, I've been, I was really struggling because I'm writing a new, you know, once you put out the special, you kill all your old stand-up material, you don't do it anymore, and I'm building my new hour, and a lot of it's about raising a son. And then I have multiple jokes about lawn care, <laughs> and <laughs> yeah, some some insecurity there. Going, man, like I used to be like underground and hip, and my show, my old TV show, felt pretty dangerous in some ways. And I had the HBO special it was all about suicide, and it was like brooding and all that. And sitting here going, can I really go out and tell jokes about lawn care now and changing diapers now and then? I go, well, that is the honest reality of my life. That other stuff was honest then. But if I if I try to replicate it now, I'd be faking it. And I think comedy audiences smell a rat. Yeah. And then on top of it, I also sit here, I go, it's okay to, like, these jokes I'm writing, I go, oh, these are actually some of the best jokes I've written. They just don't have that edge. And I go, well, if the worst that happens is I'm writing really good jokes, maybe maybe the writing on the wall is, i have to get out of the way now because i've said a lot of the stuff that i felt was really necessary to get out and there's other people who have that now and i don't want to take up space um in that arena when i could maybe get out of the way and let them lead the charge on that you know i think i i did my part and i said a lot of things i had to say and now it's time to get out of the way
0: (laughs) well i think the kernel of that though Chris, is something I've always admired in your comedy and your work. That sense that you leave space for something else to happen. Now sometimes that can be another person to come in and contribute or sometimes that can be just an unexpected uh, thing. Somebody crawls up on stage, whatever it is. But you always (laughs) have a little door open and uh, it's a very generous uh, place uh, to operate from and I've always admired it.
1: Thanks. Yeah, I've always tried to... I, I I think coming from... Uh, historically feeling like a pretty lonely person, building out a sense of community has always been important to me and has given me a lot. So I've always tried to find ways to make my work sort of collective or communal. And then and then maybe the more negative side of it is I do really like when things get chaotic. I, I like when it is exposed that society sort of functions by all of us buying in and that it's very easy for that to tip over. (laughs) I find that very funny. I find it very interesting both creatively and sort of like sociologically. And it's, it's part of why, um, I filmed this thing the way I did it. We filmed it in 10 different cities at 10 different venues, because I know that if I shoot a special and just get all the jokes, right, that's great. But a lot of times when you come to my shows, like you said, we have footage two different shows of people getting on stage and not necessarily invited all the time, you know, like really getting out of control. And um, there's a few examples like that throughout the special where you just go, well, this feels a little lawless. And by shooting ten shows, I was really hoping that we'd get some footage of that. And we did, and i'm I'm psyched about that because i I don't love rules and i don't love staying in one's lane and i don't like people feeling like they're boxed in and um that that is i think those sides of me still do come to life when i go oh this is starting to fall apart and many people would try to correct that i am going to fan the flames <laughs> It does.
0: still is an exciting thing. Well, I imagine that's uh, prepared you well for uh, parenthood. (laughs) I haven't
1: even thought of it that
0: way, but yeah, there's truth to that. There's a little bit of chaos you have to accept and see what's going to happen. And correcting it is not always the right impulse.
1: A lot of times you just got to roll with it, you know? Especially (laughs) with a toddler who's, you, you come to learn, all of it is just testing you and testing how much... They are going to be in charge, which seems to be what they crave. Yes. So, yeah, Yeah. that balance, that balance is really up and down. (laughs)
0: That's right. They're like these uh, beings, and I can't quite conjure what the media reference would be, but you sometimes see it like a a uh, person in just a blank space, a blank room, and as you start to go around and touch things, maybe an early video game or something, it would then reveal itself, and that's how you understand, okay, this is the shape of what that part of my world is, and I can go no farther, or I can go through it, and uh, so much of that building in their tiny brains, um, and it's important to keep them safe, uh, but also they're resilient, but two, to also not... Uh, not too heavy-handed in shaping that let them experience something let them dream of what that thing is
1: i think that's a really beautiful and on target analogy they don't know where the borders are and the walls are and they're reaching out and touching them but the problem is they want to reach out and go okay this this wall is going to be this far away from me and i'm going to go no the wall is 18 inches closer and he's going no (laughs) I'm going to make it 18 inches further than you want it to be. And I'm going to go, no, seriously, it's a wall. We have to commit to this. And they constantly are pushing and pulling at all of the boundaries. In a way, I both admire, and that makes me very exhausted.
0: Yeah. Oh, for sure, for sure. Well, one of my favorite moments of this special is kind of one of these quiet ones where you're uh, disassembling a bassinet. Because, uh-huh. of course, in parenthood, people uh, give you things or you buy things. You kind of overdo it with the stuff. Like yeah. you see in Sweden or whatever, they just put the kid in a box and it's, it's fine. But but here, so many times uh, they outgrow it. Uh, so many times uh, they don't like it. <laughs> You're left with sort of extra stuff and you have to deal with it. And it struck me as you were fumbling with that thing. You spoke to loneliness before, but sometimes being a dad can be a lonely chore. And it's in those moments where you're given a task, you have to do it, and you are the only person there. (laughs) And It it quickly (laughs) becomes clear that it is at least a two-person job.
1: Yeah. And there's, like you said, there are so many things that to some degree or other, I mean, you don't need a lot of it. And then there's things that you do need f- for literally a six-week period. At that point, the child will not need it. Either they'll be too big or their neck will be strong enough that they don't need like something like that. And it all moves so fast. And, and meanwhile, the relationship between mother and child is so profound. Yeah. And they're figuring that out. And it kind of moves at a million miles an hour and is in- intensely hard in so many ways on on my wife so it's not like she I need to be that support system I need to take apart a bassinet which is a thing why would I have ever done that before it's my first child and there's I think a lot of that I think I think being a first-time dad I, that kind of it really does feel like like this hopelessness where you're like I don't I'm just in this room by myself and they're over there bonding and it's hard in their own right. So I want to help. And then I'm screwing up the help and I'm tired too, but it's not, I gotta protect everybody else first. Cause they, their sleep is more important. So I guess I'll do every dish and every, every, all the, everything I can just try not to drop the ball too hard. And you're just like tired and lonely. <laughs> yeah, And then also bored. That was another thing I didn't anticipate was that, for as exciting as it is and genuinely mind-blowing overwhelming beautiful life-changing instantly it's also like you know like my wife was breastfeeding and then in his younger, he eventually rejected the bottle which was brutal but in the in the early days when he was taking the bottle i'd get up for like the 3 a.m feeding right like sitting up at three in the morning with a human who at best isn't screaming at you and is just staying still. And then you have to like try to coax them back to sleep but it might take a while. It's like, it's pretty boring. It's pretty boring (laughs) to just like sit up and do nothing with a human who cannot interact with you in any way. Really only negative ways for the first couple months. (laughs) It really is only feed, clean poop, rock to sleep, wake up at my schedule. There's almost nothing they give you for many months, and it can be pretty boring. <laughs>
0: yes. <laughs> yes. I mean, one has to assume that the the child is also receiving some sense of uh, you as a caretaker and a presence they can rely on. So you can feel confident that you're sort of showing up to do the role that is uh, required of you, sort yes. of evolutionarily. Uh, and like yes, I boring. said, so
1: much of that's really beautiful. I don't discount that but pretty boring but pretty boring yeah? <laughs> but that's also why what you get in exchange for that is like the first time you say something and the kid laughs and you realize oh he's he's actually laughing at that thing i said It that it it's not just like oh my kid laughed like i think what people don't understand is it's like oh no it that actually feels like you just got like like when Captain America got unfrozen from the glacier, you know, where you're like, oh, I'm out. I'm out of that icy prison. Like I'm back, like you gave me something. We shared a moment. I said a thing, you left. We actually communicated. You seem to like me. Wow. But that's months in. That's a few months
0: in. Very long payoff for that. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Yes. Yes. Now, uh, uh, you went through all the birthing classes and everything too, right? <laughs> um, uh, I know there's a bit in the special where you talk about that. Um, but did in those classes, did you have to watch a lot of videos of people giving birth? Did you do that?
1: No, we never had the videos. I kind of wish we did because it is simultaneously the most beautiful thing I've ever seen. And also, just like objectively, gross and i don't think anyone would deny that like it's yeah. it is a gross process but again thrilling and exhilarating in so many ways so we didn't do that we took a much more hippy dippy class we took the one class i talk about in the special which was this nurse really hammering us over the head with a lot of what was going to happen which wasn't right. being good the class we took was 9 weeks and there was like a lot of meditating and a lot of like sitting on yoga balls in different positions meant to relieve labor pressures and pains and um a lot of like connecting on an emotional level with partners like myself with my wife other people with their partners and and that stuff was extremely valuable to kind of say like let's clear the air about what we expect and how we want to do certain things and what are our fears with this like you fill me in on yours you fill me in on mine. those things were valuable but you know, walking walking through hallways, doing silent walking meditations. I don't know that it yep. had so much of an effect on the birthing experience, <laughs> like sitting on yoga. I'm not gonna lie, we never inflated our yoga ball. We brought one to the, wow. I think maybe we did inflate it. Maybe we inflate, I think we inflated it and then my <laughs> wife tried to sit on it once and the nurses came running in and we we're like, what are you doing, get back in bed. And that was a big fight.
0: That must have been nice, getting out of the car with an inflated yoga ball and all this stuff. Well,
1: I inflated it in the room. I did okay, inflate right. it with the pump, like in an exhausted, terrified, like, what's happening here? Inflating a yoga ball. My wife used it once. And then, yeah, they had they had some monitors on her because there was, it was like some, they had like monitored something going on with the baby and they were slightly concerned something weird was happening. So as soon as she stood up, one of the monitors disconnected. and They ran uh-huh. in They were like, get back in bed. She's like, but we took, the class was nine weeks, and it was expensive.
0: (laughs) Got to sit on this ball.
1: (laughs) I have to sit on this ball, or I'm going to feel like I wasted a lot of time and money.
0: (laughs) I was very involved with the birth of uh, my niece's daughter, uh, and I went to a couple of these birthing (sighs) classes, and we were shown a video of the Mexican water birth. Wow. (laughs) Chris, I tell you, did you ever consider an underwater birth?
1: I have friends who have done it, uh, my wife's friends, in particular, they're very, I would say, sort of like on the hippie vibe, and they gave birth in their home in a baby pool. Yeah, which I always found fascinating. But are there specific? Is there a specific Mexican variation of this process?
0: I think it just took place in Mexico, okay. uh, and it was in okay. a kind of a sauna-like environment, uh, in the, like a clay tub. That and, sounds nice. Uh, there were subtitles. Yeah, <laughs> but,
1: <laughs> was it? Was it? Did it seem enviable, like,
0: or scary? You know what seems enviable is the uh, the peacefulness and the sort of calmness that everybody exuded in that film. That would not be my experience if I were in that situation. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Nor do I want to necessarily insert myself into that situation. Mm-hmm. But I could appreciate that uh, there was a certain. Demeanor and a certain uh, presence of mind among everybody. And I appreciated that. Again, did I take any of that kind of thing uh, with me or into life? Uh, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, maybe. Yeah. Fair. But, <laughs> now do I have it right? Uh, you relocated during the pandemic? Is that when you uh, made your move? I Well, we bought
1: our house before the pandemic. So we did not flee New York City due to pandemic reasons, which I know a lot of people, a lot of city people aren't a fan of those who did that. We bought our house, I think, in January. And then we ran into a sort of tense situation where um, our co-op board in Queens disallowed movers right before we were supposed to move. They said, we don't want strange people we don't know in the building. And I was in this like headspace where I was like, I totally get that. Also, I have a one-year-old and another house, and we're two avenues away from a hospital that's being referred to as the epicenter of the epicenter. That Elmhurst Hospital was in the news heavily in the earliest days of the pandemic. The Times got footage from in there that showed people this is not the flu. Something bad's happening here. So I'm like, I, I get it. You don't want movers in the building, but please don't make me raise a baby who's not even one in the heart of this stuff when i already own the other house i'm not i'm not trying to bail right um so it was really tense and but but then again i go man there's a lot of people who have much sadder stories than that sure uh, yeah sure. so we we did we did move to jersey last year my native land
0: yeah <laughs> yes a <in> return uh- <laughs> <laughs> of the prodigal son. Isn't that how it goes? Um, well, I thought uh, you also mentioned lawn care. That's become a big passion of yours. Are we uh, talking uh, yeah. riding, a push? What are we dealing with? We're talking
1: with? a push. We're talking an a, uh, extension corded push Oh, for the environment. You've got
0: to be careful with that, don't you? And you, you don't want to
1: run over your own cord. <laughs> no. That's a world of pain right there. <laughs> and yeah, I've, I've gotten really into it mostly because last year I screwed up and destroyed my own yard oh and i hated looking at the lawn that i destroyed i um you know how on the lawnmower they got all those number settings sure yeah do you know that they say that you should never set it lower than three and preferably four
0: you're talking about the height of the blade yeah uh, beneath, the, beneath the mower yeah
1: yeah which presupposes the question in my mind why do one and two exist why have them if you're never supposed to use them and I was thinking haircut style. I go, let me cut this thing short so that I don't have to mow it as often.
0: Less work. Less yep.
1: work. And instead what happens is apparently that really weakens the grass's root system. And yes. with the weak root system, this allows a lot of weeds to come in and dominate because the grass can't doesn't have like a foothold to fight them off. So my lawn was like, a large percentage of it was a substance called crabgrass. Yep. Dale, I don't know if you're familiar Crabgrass, I would look at it and I would want to throw up. I found it to be <laughs> a disgusting thing to look at. So I've spent the past year um I'm not even I'm not even my through my first full loop of recovery with long care, but I became very obsessive about figuring out how to fix it. And then it turns out I found it actually very zen and relaxing to get out there and do it.
0: Yeah. See, that seems like a very dad thing. Uh, oh yeah, I've I remember. So I remember My uh, father always talking about zoysia grass. How he always wanted zoysia to get grass. zoysia grass. This very like dense, doesn't let the weeds in. And if you could put that out, it's similar to what they put on like golf courses and things. But he was always talking about that as the key mm-hmm. to his weeding. Uh, still, he's out there weeding, bent over with a cane, weeding, and it's endless. We never got the grass, but I always—I yeah. kind of wanted to do that for him at some point. But it's a very big deal. I have a gr- my my grass blend is a mixture of uh, Kentucky bluegrass,
1: perennial nice. rye, and most importantly, tall fescue. Yeah, and tall fescue is the same grass that's on the south lawn of the White House, and the wow. the real. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm yeah. about to have pres- presidential grass, and. <laughs> The thing I really like about it is that it spreads through a rhizome, so the roots the roots grow horizontally. And that that really that can really help with the weeds. And I got yeah. less weeds this year. I, I didn't get the crabgrass, but I got this mouse eared chickweed and I hate that too. Ooh. Ooh. I can't stand this mouse
0: eared <laughs> chickweed. It, it's a battle. Yeah, and
1: remember in the remember we were talking earlier about how when we first met I was talking about death and drugs and all yeah. that, and yeah. now I legitimately care
0: about mouse-eared chickweed. This is that's progress, I think.
1: I wonder. I guess it's it's like progress as a human, and concerning as an artist. But I
0: think I will come to. You. Embrace it and love it, yeah, to me, it sounds like you are tending something uh, that is of value to you uh mm. a- and mm. you're not giving up, and you're not at a place where everything seems dark if the If the rain yes. clouds are coming in, you yes. welcome it as an opportunity to to again nurture and water what you have there Wow, you're a wordsmith <laughs> every now and again. <laughs> Uh, but I'm happy to see this new Chris. Uh, I am. And I'm eager to see what um, happens uh, next with everything. Um, the special, um, just beautiful. It really Thanks. is. It captures so much of, of this moment in your life and also, I think, a lot of people's lives. Um, but it's just, uh, it's, it is beautiful. And, hey, it's funny. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah, that's, you know, the... The unusual part is that we have
1: this sort of, like, hybrid where there's, like, more documentary-style splitting up the jokes, and a lot of people find that, you know, that's the more unusual thing, so that's a lot of what we talk about, but then I'm glad that you're underlining the large majority, if you actually timed it, it's mostly jokes and stories, like, there's, and I've worked hard on them for years, and some of them are, I think, pretty good, so yeah, it's funny, and then also, yeah, there's some chaos, and then some soul-searching, and... I hope that I hope that people enjoy it, we'll see. I, th-
0: I think they will. And uh, may I say, as the editor of the first and perhaps only video yearbook at B. Reed Henderson High School in okay. Westchester, Pennsylvania, mm-hmm. I appreciated all of the aesthetic choices of the interstitial business that you're doing there.
1: Did you find any commonalities between our choices and your choices editing a video yearbook?
0: yes uh, sometimes you get the nice pan of the location in a kind of uh, slow grainy way sometimes you're just because of time and what you have available to you and the fact that you can only use the audio video cart in yes. mr. Friedman's uh, area there behind the library for uh, an hour after school if you caught that person uh, no matter how fuzzy in the background you'd use that clip of them just to make. <laughs> and, and- <laughs> We did shoot a bunch of ours on
1: camcorders which was sort of like a stylistic choice but I would yeah. imagine that maybe back in the day you had equipment closer Comparable. to that than the than the crazy machines we have access to now.
0: Oh yes, these were VHS-C tapes which required a Ooh. second adapter to even watch them. Wow. <laughs> also I'll
1: say it is it is possible that your video yearbook had a higher budget than what i scrapped together for this that is actually a possibility i well, self-funded
0: it and i don't have a ton of disposable income no you got a lot of spend on that lawn out there oh yeah presidential <laughs> need... grass ain't cheap man no
1: and and i need more than one type of fertilizer spread throughout the year so it piles up
0: quick <laughs> it piles up well it doesn't show it looks terrific uh everything uh have you is seen great. it You've what? seen my lawn? You've... No, they're special. <laughs> oh, 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 Thank you. I Thank haven't you. been lawn lurking. I was in New I was yet. momentarily concerned. Yes. <laughs> and I would understand it. <laughs> But uh, it's just uh, uh, such a uh, joy as somebody who uh, uh, loves your work. uh, It's been a great gift to see you evolve over this last decade and to experiment, to open yourself up in such a publicly vulnerable way through all of the different outlets, through the podcast, which is great, and through the uh, special and the various uh, uh, platforms that you're on um uh, i think it has all led us to be somewhere that is richer and funnier and uh, we're we're better off for having you out there chris so i appreciate it and i hope people will go and see this special how can they do that
1: first of all let me say that I was extraordinarily kind and i thank you and then secondly, the special is streaming in a whole bunch of different places. You can get it through iTunes and and uh, your Apple TV and Amazon Prime and I believe Peacock and and YouTube and even that one Tubi that no one ever opens on there on their <laughs> Roku Tubi. and yeah, Tubi, <laughs> sure. Which I thought was a small scrappy uh, platform but it's recently been explained to me it's owned by the fox corporation so oh, that little one <laughs> there's a part of me that was like let's support tubi everybody go watch it on tubi why not and then it's like oh no uh some some concerning there aren't a concerning family tree so yeah but if if, if you uh it's out there you yeah. can find it i wish it was as simple as saying you just have to go watch it on blank platform, but it's it takes a little bit of research, but yeah. a, a cursory Google search, you'll find it somewhere.
0: That's right. Watch it on a- any platform at this point. That's just terrific. And it's called Chris Gethard, Half My Life. hmm Yeah. Mm-hmm. Wonderful. Well, Chris, thank you so much. Really appreciate thank being you. here. That was this a joy. It's, like. it's okay. always a joy. <laughs> Talk to you later. I mean, there you go. Chris Gethard, what a guy. And, you know, he's really created so many opportunities for other comedians to experiment, to be weird, and find their voice. Uh, I I want him to get the credit for that as well, because it's really a remarkable thing, and it speaks to that generous... Uh, nature of his. I'm so glad he could join me and we could check in at this moment in his life. And uh sounds like a good moment. You can get a similar experience of checking in with him by watching his special, uh, Chris Gethard, Half My Life, uh, available everywhere, as we said. Be sure to watch all the way through to the end for a little uh, a surprise. That it tidies up nicely. Speaking of tidying up, folks, that will do it for us this week. If you want to give Squadcast a try, we sure like it. We recommend it. It's a platform where we conduct all these interviews uh, remotely. Uh, you can go to our site, deepnightshow.com, for a free trial run. Just click on the link over there. All right. Well, as we say goodbye, we, we should also, also note it's almost the end of the season. How did that happen? Well, uh, more on that next time. Remember that although this night is ending, a bright new day is just ahead. Deep Night with Dale is produced and performed by James Bewley. Season theme song by Mariam Caduce of Space Moth. Season podcast icon by Philippa Baleza. Incidental music heard throughout the program by the talented roster at Howler Hills Farm in Ohio. Remember to rate and review the program on Apple Podcasts or tune in and stream the show on Spotify, SoundCloud, Pandora, or Stitcher, wherever you find fine audio content. To see any of our live shows or other short videos, visit our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash and follow us on Instagram at delsever is the handle. Thanks again for listening, and remember this season to keep your portals open and at a safe distance.